Hello all and welcome to a Sunday afternoon episode of Old Everald and Young James Talk Politics coming live from our my bedroom at Everald study on a Sunday afternoon. Here with Everald Compton as always. How are you, Ev? Well, I'm fine, mate, and thank you for fitting in with my time schedule for uh, Sunday um, afternoon. I've had a good afternoon nap and I'm all fired up, uh, uh, ready to go. Look, I've been watching Parliament, as you know, for, for a long time in my 90 years around this planet, I started going to the parliament six and a half decades ago, around 65, and I've seen a lot of parliaments and a lot of strange things happen. I've got to say that this last week, it was one of the most, uh, you can describe it as disgusting, but it was totally unparliamentary. It was totally undignified. It spread around a, a lot of things which were totally lies. I mean, it was, I, I didn't hear a single fact mentioned then. So it really will go down in my mind as one of the abominable weeks. Now, Morrison, obviously, he's not politically, Morrison's not done. I think he knows he's got his back to the wall. He's got to do something extraordinary to win. And he's decided to win by fear, abuse, make Albanese look like a weakling, you know, whatever. But you're, um, you're looking at from younger eyes than me. How did you, uh, how did you see the week? Uh, disgraceful in a word. Uh, honestly, quite sickening. Um, first and foremost, my heart goes out um, not just to all the Chinese Australians out there who are no doubt now in the line of abuse, fire, and questions of dual loyalty from the government stance, but to all Asian Australians because um, you know that the sorts of people to fall for Morrison's crap here of the the yellow peril red scare campaign are also not the sorts of people to be able to identify a Chinese-Australian from a Korean-Australian, from a Japanese-Australian, etc. Um, there, there are going to be a lot of Asian-Australians this election campaign who are going to cop abuse, cop, like, not, not just domestic um, racism sort of thing, but questions of dual loyalty, things like that. They'll be insinuated they're, you know, spies or working for the other, and that sort of othering is really, really scary. Um, I think you're right. Morrison senses his back is against the wall. And I mean, obviously, I was only like two years old at the time or one year old um, when John Howard ran the, the Tampa um, election campaign. But <clears throat> to me, it looks like this is Morrison's ace in the hole of, well, how does the LNP pull an election out of their backside when things are looking grim? Um, we find a whole heap of coloured people from another country and direct everyone's hate and anger towards them and away from us. Um, Howard did it to such great effect with, with the Tampa affair, and I think this is Morrison's um, last last dance. Well, well, let, let, let me know that uh, uh, I uh, saw the Tampa affair uh, unfold, and I've got to say that while Howard did some extraordinary things, like claim that the children were being thrown overboard during that election, but the whole Tampa thing, which was before that, at least Howard used moderate language. He used words like, you know, we will decide who will come into Australia and who won't get in. And, 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 and he never at any point used anything like the language that, uh, uh, that Morrison did. But how, it actually killed Kim Beasley because Kim Beasley didn't quite know how to handle it. What was extraordinary, though, was the Tampa thing was here, the, the rule of the sea is if you're in international waters and someone calls a distress thing, you are duty-bound as a seaman if you're the closest one to go there. So the, the Norwegian guy went there because and saved the people, and then from that point, all, all he got was abuse. Now, Howard 
didn't ever raise his voice, but he said, you can't land on Christmas Island, you can't go here, you've got to shoot through, and humiliated the guy. But at least Howard didn't use the language that Morrison did. And, and Morrison uh, almost, I mean, he wasn't going to be careful, but he almost looked as if he was on the brink of losing the plot mentally at a couple of times in that, and Dutton wasn't very far behind him. Uh, and so we come to the point, will this fear campaign win an election. Well, it did for Howard because Howard painted in decent language, he painted the thought that thousands of uh, swarms of people from overseas were going to hit Australia and that, that, that had an impact. Now, Morrison is trying to generate uh, something out of, out of this, but at least Howard had a boat and some people he could talk about. Morrison's dragging this out of fresh air, isn't he? Yeah, you're entirely right. I mean, when the news of this... Um because the, the first sort of event that kicked off, I, I think Morrison's been fanging to do this for a long time. I think he's been, like, this whole sort of time he's been in office, he's been getting progressively more and more hawkish on China and Dutton too, obviously, um, so they could try to run this election as a national security election if things turn south with COVID. And now I think um, what's going... Well, the, the thing that kicked this off um, was when it came out that um, Chinese, or allegedly it was Chinese money, was being funneled into certain Labor Party seats um, to get certain sympathetic to China uh, pre-selections to run for the federal parliament. And Morrison, uh, as, as soon as War well, One, it was totally unprecedented for that to be leaked from the Defence Department, um, that knowledge, because that was an ASIO operation that thwarted that, leaked by the Defence Department. Um, and that's totally unprecedented. But two, immediately upon its leak, Morrison started saying, and Dutton too, started saying things like, you know, that China has picked their candidate for the next election, and it's Anthony Albanese. And that prompted an absolutely stunning rebuke from both the former and current director generals of ASIO, who came out and said, no, Prime Minister, um, foreign interference is not partisan. It doesn't just flow against one party. There are foreign actors from a multitude of countries always trying to target pretty much every party at federal, state and local level. And foreign interference is not something that is just China going after Labor and puppeteering them. Um, and that's like ASIO is a completely non-political organisation. I don't think I've ever heard ASIO make like wade into what happens in Canberra in this way. It's, it's stunning to me that it's so brazenly racist so so brazenly weaponizing lies about national security that required the intelligence agency to step in yeah well look it, it, Morrison hopefully all, we've all got short memories but I remember in the last election and I'm pretty sure the woman is liberal I'm getting old and you can tell isn't there a lady in the parliament called Gladys Liu who's got some Chinese connections and I'm pretty sure she got elected for a seat you know for the liberals and she was accused of having Chinese donors that got her there, and, and there was a big hoo-ha about it, and, and it all died down. But the facts of the matter are that uh, I think Morrison could, have, could get himself hit by that one if someone wants to really go back and look at Gladys Liu, isn't it? Well, um, that's definitely true, but that, that's something I'd hope the Labor Party avoids because what we've been seeing in the past sort of week is the Labor Party saying, well, actually, Mr. Morrison, you keep saying we're weak on national security and you're tough on national security. Well, it's you who leased the port of Darwin out to China. It's you 
who's been getting all these Chinese donations, etc. And that, um, while that stuff is true, it it's just turning, it, it's preying on the same, trying to prey on the same sorts of fears and turn the racism back on the LNP and hope that, you know, the same people who fall for the LNP's trip can fall for it the other way. So realistically, I think what my hope for Labor, like so I, I understand the political appeal in doing that, mind you, but there are sometimes, to, to my mind, there, there are sometimes where you have to take a principled stand and say no, enough. Yeah, well, it, it, I, I agree that to bring ladders learned or now gets into Morrison's tactics and that, that creates up, but the fact is, that's there, but look, with the with the thing in Darwin, I mean, Albo was not honest about the Darwin thing with the port of Darwin. I happened to be within a company that was part of a syndicate to buy the port of Darwin, and we lodged a bid, and we were beaten by the Chinese. We were one of the Australians who bid, and not pretty cranky that Darwin we put in a good, uh, you know, a good bid. But our dealings were solely with the Northern Territory government; that they were not with. Uh, uh, the Australian government. Now, the Australian government could have moved in and said, you cannot do that. But the decision was made by the Northern Territory government. The panel we appeared for was the Northern Territory mm. government panel. Now, now so, so Morrison didn't select them, but by the same token, he didn't step in and stop them. Well, yeah, exactly, because the federal government through the Foreign Investment yeah. Review Board always has to rubber stamp any acquisition yeah. um, by a company in a foreign country and that sort of thing. So that that's the way the federal government could have intervened. But yeah, to my mind, Labor has to avoid, again, I can see the political appeal in it, but political appeal is one thing. There are times that tests your, your mettle as a person, not as a politician, where you have to stand up and say, no, enough is enough. We're not going to throw Asian Australians under the bus. We're not going to lean into this fear campaign. And we're going to stand up for anti-discrimination, stand against playing into very harmful sort of Cold War era stereotypes that the federal government wants. Um, and we're going to, like, that. I think it was Michelle Obama that said about the US Republicans, you know, when they go low, we go high. And there are some times where that's not applicable because politics is a money game. But I really hope Labor doesn't get drawn into the racist muck and mire here and just try to beat back these attacks by accusing the Liberals of being China puppets instead. Because, you know, that doesn't, that contributes more to the normalisation and um, of this racist rhetoric. Because when it's the people in Canberra, the politicians who are meant to be respected members of society saying, you know, oh, the, the foreign interference, the Chinese are coming, they're interfering with every facet of our life um, and doing so in an incredibly dishonest and disingenuous way, using it as a political weapon, etc., that gives your street racists, your average everyday people, a license to do the same thing and a license to discriminate and a license to replicate those same behaviours. Well, James, now let's look at this politically. I agree with what you're saying. In my lifetime, there are two things that have basically decided most elections. One is, do the voters, who do the voters think is going to be best to look after their money? And the Conservatives have always been able to, by campaigning, to, to say that, that the Labor Party won't look after it, even though you had good guys like Hawke and Keating. They all managed to... So it's, who's going to look after your money? And that's what beat short and Morrison recommended. Now, the other thing that's changed, Governor, is the threat of a war or a threat of 
of foreign uh, interference, uh, uh, you know, or whatever. And, and people, when, when they think a war might happen in some, they stick with the government. Now, now Morrison is very fortunate at the moment. I got accused by word carefully because I, I know what the wars in, in, in Ukraine. But one of the best things that could happen to Morrison politically here was if a war started in Ukraine, people would say, you know, we've got to stick with the government, we've got to stick with people who are tough, and, and, and Morrison's tough and you can't go changing this, uh, you know, when there's a war on. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we've got two things that change. In my view, the public never vote on morals or honesty or whatever. It's all, what's going to happen to my Dale? And is anybody going to invade us or are we going to get involved in a war? And so Morrison is on, he will fight this campaign on those two things. Now, if you were Albo, how would you battle those two things? Um, Firstly, to my mind, I completely agree with what you're saying. Like, I think cynically and privately, Scott Morrison and Peter Dutton are absolutely hoping for a war with the Ukraine for their political prospects. Obviously, we don't want a war with the Ukraine, a, a war between Russia and Ukraine, rather. Um, for a whole, a, a whole suite of very obvious reasons, first and foremost being war is bad, loss of life is bad, that sort of global volatility is really bad and horrible and dangerous. Um, so we're hoping for a peaceful resolution, as we always are, but I think Morrison and Dutton privately would be cheering on ratcheting tensions so they could, um, because that's, uh, that rally around the flag effect, I think they call it in times of crisis. Now, if, if I were Albanese, um, the, the way to fight back against that rhetoric, I think you, you have to put your best foot forward in terms of these things. Now, Christina Keneally, who Labor has been rolling out to, as the shadow minister for home affairs, I don't think is Labor's best foot forward. I think there's a huge portion of the electorate that is not a huge fan of Christina Keneally. Um, and I don't think, though there are a lot of people, especially on the right wing of the Labor Party, who think she's incredibly well-spoken, incredibly incisive in that. I think the majority of the electorate doesn't like Keneally. But relying on people like Penny Wong and Tanya Plibersek, um, who, to my mind, have a lot of respect in the electorate, just in terms of measured, calm and intelligent people, and basically saying to the public, and I know it's a long shot because the public can get very primal when it comes to war and stuff, but to, and it, it, would be a, it would be a true campaign to just say, Morrison's a lunatic, Dutton's a lunatic, these people on our side, Penny Wong, Tanya Plibersek, we are cool heads. We are reasonable heads. And in this very volatile time that the globe is coming to, um, you want cool heads in charge. Well, um, Morrison will go to the electorate and say, cool heads are no good. You've got to be a tough right. You've got to be a tough right like me. I'll do whatever it takes to defend Australia. The Labor Party will jellyfish around. And he will go there that I am the only bloke who can stand up for Australia. And he'll repeat that over and over, you know, and, and uh, you know, and over again. And he's had all sorts of things falling in his lap at this moment. It's not just that uh, he had an opportunity. Singapore, the anniversary of the fall of Singapore, where we lost the war in Australia, was alone. Uh, all of our troops were in the Middle East. Uh, that just came at the time that he did it. And then the bombing of Darwin at the end of the week. and. Now, thank goodness he invited Albo to get up there, but while Albo behaved himself up there, Morrison ran around, you know, like saying, well, look, you know, we're not going to have this, and basically saying, well, if you don't want Darwin bombed again on the road, you know, to stick with him. Yeah. So he's had a bit of incredible good luck, hasn't he? Yeah. 
Yeah, he has. Um, I mean, the, you know, there's nothing the Liberal Party loves more than sort of glorifying past wars and saying, hey, remember these past wars? We'll vote the Liberal Party to valorise these past wars and make sure that never happens again through strongman tactics. And you're right that Morrison's going to be peddling these strongman tactics um, throughout the entire campaign. I just think if Labor tries to peddle those same strongman tactics, A, it'll back them into a corner if they are elected, because then if they do be cool and diplomatic, they'll be breaking an election promise. Um, and if the other thing is, no one's going to believe Labor if they campaign on being tough, quote unquote, tough on China, tough on Russia, et cetera, just because the Liberals do those fear-based campaigns so much better. Um, because the Liberals have, you know, a full media apparatus working for them. And um, it's the same deal with the sound economic management um, campaign. Like, Labor would be stupid um, to run a... Labor can run a campaign on economic management, but they shouldn't run a campaign about debt and deficit and surplus and that sort of thing, because it's not the Labor Party to do that. Now, uh, in terms of... Um, I think it's a, a friend of mine who's uh, 72 or so, so um, a, a spring chicken, um, He's, um, he's told me that Anzac Day pre-Howard and Anzac Day post-Howard. And he basically said before Howard came along, Anzac Day was sort of a lot more solemn and respectful. And it was a time to sort of reflect on past wars, but it wasn't about valorizing them or glamorizing conflict and war and those sorts of things. But he said uh, as soon as Howard came into power, more and more, and since then, Anzac Day has become almost like a 4th of July-style celebration of war and the military. Um, and that sort of environment is one I think Morrison's going to launch himself into in the election. Like, I wouldn't be surprised to see him parading around the ADF and, um, you know, jumping into a tank and doing stuff like that for his stunts. Well, that's what he did when he the down out of the guts of the campaign. Uh, you know, people... Uh, do all sorts of silly things when they vote, uh, you know, in uh, you know in elections. But we now come to the guts of it. Albo's small target strategy that he's had right from the start of the campaign, when he tried to not get involved in disputes with Morrison, and he's waved a few things through to stop uh, getting in those disputes. And and he hasn't been out there putting out tough policies and and taking uh, and Morrison on because he wanted to be a small target. Now that has, I know he didn't intend that. That made him look weak to a lot of voters who said, "Oh, he, he doesn't believe in anything. He avoids fights. He, you know, he does. and so uh, he he doesn't. That small strategy hasn't made him come over to look like a tough hard leader. And then you got to say, well, does Australia want a tough hard leader or does it want a sensible leader in the whole thing? But I think that Alba may have played into Morrison's hands now. That Morrison can say, look, listen to him for the last 12 months, he hasn't said anything, and I'm I'm the only bloke out there doing something. What do you think of Albo's small target strategy? Is this now going to backfire on him? I mean, see, yeah, we, we've talked before, I'm not a fan of the small target strategy, because I think if voters don't know what you stand for, you have to have a really terrible, almost all-time terrible incumbent you're facing to get up on the small target strategy. And Albanese to this point has been fortunate that over the past um, year, two years, ever since the bushfires really, uh, Morrison has shown himself to be that all time terrible, inept, useless bungling incumbent against whom a small target strategy can work. 
But that being said, in this specific debate, this has been one area where Morrison has been very vocal. Um, and it's one area where, as we've discussed, leaning into that old school LNP, you know, racist, bigoted fear campaign and throwing minorities and ethnic communities under the bus in the campaign in the process um, is a very effective LNP campaign strategy. And I think, Al, like, uh, again, I'm, I'm very disappointed Aldo has quietly turned and taken, tried to turn the, no, you're weak on China, no, you're weak on China. It's just a mudslinging match. I'd, I'd much rather a Labor come out firmly, strongly, and basically say, you know, the Labor Party does not stand for this politicisation of national security. The Labor Party does not stand for these fear campaigns, these fear campaigns based on a lack of facts, a lack of evidence, uh, based on nothing but primal fear and appeal to the lowest common denominator in people. And, you know, throw in some of those nice little cute lines. The Australian public are better than this. The Australian public know uh, not to fall for dumb, lazy fear campaigns because voters love to be lavish with how smart they are. <laughs> but I, I do think this is one area where Albo should certainly fire up and fire back. Well, um, it depends on how he fires back to the game. Morrison, first of all, we've had bad trade relationships with China, which I believe Morrison fought yep. Yep. And now, now we're worried about Chinese boats firing lasers at us when we, our plane was the one who flew close to them, not, not the other way around. And so, so we, we got to, if I was out, I'd say, look, Morrison has never been to China in the three years that he's been in to sit down with Xi and say, now, look, can we sort out where we trade with one another and we're going to have a defence back where we don't shoot at one another and, and we're going to cooperate together? Morrison has never been able to say to Xi, come to deal. I think if Elbow's got to go and say, if I'm Prime Minister, I'm seeking a meeting with Z where we can have a cooperation thing and to say, I'm going to go and do something positive. I'm not going to sit at home and say to Z, if you fire a rocket at me, I'm going to get real upset. I mean, because Z can take Parliament out, out tomorrow without anybody doing anything. Those submarines we're building one by doing damn thing about. I mean, Z could decide. Give, give Z your address there where you live in Sydney and Z can take that out without taking out the house next door. I mean, that's how accurate it is. And so I think Albo's got to say, I am going to come to a deal with China. I'm going to cut out all this crap. We're going to go. And that would leave Morrison on the sideline. What do you think? Well, I agree. Like, that's another way of saying so. You don't have to say, I'm going to sit down and kowtow to everything uh, China wants out of us. but it, it's very easy to say in a more tactful way than Tony Abbott's, you know, I'm going to shirt front Putin, but yeah. something in that same line, because that, look, as a middle power, it's not like we can sit down with China and say, we have five demands, you're going to follow all five of them, or we're leaving the room, you know. Um, we, we can't issue ultimatums like that. We are Australia, they are China. They are much bigger and stronger than us, and we need them from a trading perspective a lot more than they need us. But I think... Albo could certainly say, rather than all this crap Morrison's doing, um, statements from the lectern on our side, statements on the lectern from their side, no one's talking to anyone. I think Albo can say, like, that's another way of, of appearing without directly saying, I'm Anthony Albanese and I'm tough on China. That's one way of showing you are tough by saying, I'm going to sit down with Xi and we are going to work something out to put all this crap to an end now. Um, so I think you're right. 
Well, true. Well, now this is going to unfold, and, and, and Parliament's now no longer sitting. We got five weeks without Parliament. That's a break. We come back with the budget on the 29th of March, and I happen to know that Frydenberg is working pretty hard on this budget because the whole of the Liberal Party is saying to, to putting enormous pressure on Josh Frydenberg. And mind you, it's Morrison that makes the final decision, but they're all saying to Frydenberg, you've got to bias the votes we need to win this election, mate. This budget has got to make the Australian people feel that money's going to flow into their pockets like you wouldn't believe. You know, we're now, Frydenberg can't promise that with the deficits he's got, whatever you but. The way in which that budget is received, in my view, will have more to do than, than, than the defence thing in the election. And Albo's reply on the Thursday night, uh, I'd much rather Jim Chalmers was making the reply, but for some reason, you have the treasurer on one side makes a reply and it's the opposition leader on the other side. But, but that budget is going to be a, a, a crucial factor. So there's five weeks in which... Uh, that's got to be interesting as to what Capers Morrison gets up in, in, you know, in, in that time. But I believe the budget could well decide the election. Do you believe that? Would you agree with that, James? Um, I mean, you know, we know there are no people who are as good as pork, as good at pork barrelling as this current Liberal government, whether it be the sports rorts, the car park rorts, the water rorts, Angus Taylor's Leppington Triangle acquisition. Uh, you know, the list goes on. Uh, there are so many projects you can name where liberal seats and marginal seats have received massively disproportionate amounts of budget funding in a very blatant attempt to buy votes. And I, It'll happen again, mate. Let me pull Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I, I think you're entirely right that there, there will be liberal MPs in marginal seats and even safe seats that may be under threat, whether under threat from Labor, the Greens or independents, will be saying, Josh, 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 um, please, please, please. He's under so, enormous pressure. He's got everybody in the Liberal caucus sending him a bill saying, we, we want this uh, yeah. this money. So, so, I mean, th th this will be a crucial. Now, in the meantime, there's an election on in South Australia on the 19th of March. Now, Marshall is a totally different bloke to Morrison. I think Marshall has run a reasonably responsible government in South. He doesn't rant and rave like, like Morrison at all. And I think he'll get back in a minority government with some independence. That was to be six independents in the South Australian House. And so if, if, if he survives, that again shows that the Liberals aren't on the nose in the country. They just won the election in South Australia. So those things can all add to, uh, you, know, to Morris, you know, to Morrison's feeling of, uh, of goodwill about it all. So there's a bit of water to go under the bridge. Now tell me now, we just about run out of, we've only got a few minutes left for a half hour, James. Let's get to the rotter of the week, or the hero of the week, and the, uh, you know, and the rotter of the week. Uh, 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 what, what would you uh, say? Well, you go first. Who's the hero of the week? The, um, the, the one thing I'd just like to add first, and what you just, and what we were talking about before, is there is, of course, that sixteen billion dollar unallocated um, election pork barrelling war chest. The Liberals yes, included yeah. in their pre-budget, um, in their mid-year budget update, or whatever it's called. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so. I think that that $16 billion may be the $16 billion that the Liberals at least used to attempt to decide the election. In terms of my hero of the week, uh, it's a former private school attendee from Sydney, and I never thought I'd be giving plaudits to a private school attendee, um, but a girl by the name of Chanel Contos um, recently was successful in a campaign. She started to get consent education enshrined as part of the um, national curriculum in our schools. 
uh, taught from kindergarten to year 10, it will be. Um, the the edu federal education department is committed to including it in the national curriculum. And I mean, obviously you would hope most civilized people know you need consent before engaging in any sexual activity with someone. But you know, as events of the past year have shown, in so many echelons of society, whether upper echelons or lower echelons, there are still a lot of people running around to whom consent is no barrier uh, for doing certain things. So I'd like to hope the normalization of consent education from K to 10 um, may be something to mean, you know, for generations to come, uh, there needs to be less Brittany Higginses and Grace Thames coming out and telling their horrible stories um, because there will be less incidents of that nature. So props to um, Chanel Contos for running a very successful campaign uh, to get that enshrined in our curriculums. Well, 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 that's good. And look, I had great difficulty in finding some good for the week, but I was heartened, you know, by the fact that at the end of the week, uh, there uh, uh, the whole issue of uh, the Integrity Corruption Commission, ICAC, which, which Morrison promised three years ago, hasn't happened. And Helen Haynes has moved a bill about that. And she got a, a group from each party, independents, liberals, nationals, in a, a small group to come and say that, they would vote for her bill if it came up. It's not going to come up. Now, one of them was the lady from Tasmania, who Bridget Archer, who crossed the floor on the religious thing. She was one of the ones that came out. So even though they roared at her and yelled at her about that, she still came out and stood with Helen Haynes and said, I'm with it. And John Alexander, who's retiring from Parliament, uh, uh, he... Uh, uh, he came out, he, and he, I know him well, he came out and said, well, if he was going to be around, he, he would do it. But he was a bloke who's a great advocate of, of uh, affordable housing and nobody in the government never listened to him. So I was a bit heartened when, you know, when, uh, you know, when those two uh, people came out. Now, now, when it comes to the rotter of the week, it's not hard to find a rotter of the week, but you, you, you tell me yours. Yeah, I mean, you know, you got to go, so it, it, it's pick your poison. Is it Scott Morrison? Is it Peter Dutton? Is it the entire LNP? Is it the Speaker of the House for letting him get away with this shit? You know, it's it's pretty much the, the smorgasbord. Um, it's It's been an absolute... It, I, I used the clown car analogy for Parliament last week um, as regards the religious discrimination bill. Uh, little did I know that, you know, if last week was a clown car, what does that make this week? Uh, it was shameful, it was shocking, it was all the worst aspects of Australian society on display, and um, you have to just, you know, unreservedly condemn the, the government for leaning into racism, leaning into bigotry, leaning into fear and loathing and othering um, in what they've done this week. It's, it's disgraceful. Well, it hasn't been a good week, and I'll go off into sport, and I think I might have mentioned this to you a few days ago, but I was very annoyed when the Australian... Cricket Australia got rid of Justin Langer as the coach after we'd won the Ashes and done a hell of a good job in winning the Ashes. Uh, decisively, they fired him and apparently it appeared he didn't do him well with some of the players. But I've lost confidence in Tennis Australia for the way they handled mm -hmm. the big thing. And now when you get a coach who wins and then you fire him, and that seems to me to be pretty, uh, you know, pretty crook. And so that was my, uh, you know, my, my worry of the week now. When we look at next week, uh, you know, we got a week without Parliament. Morrison's now got to think up something he's going to rant and rant about. I presume he's going to rant and rant about a new thing every week for five weeks until the Parliament goes back for the 
uh, you know, uh, for the budget. So it'll be interesting to find out what issues uh, he decides to run with, which he's got to generate some public philosophy about because there's no questions on. What do you think he'll get into next week? Um, I, I, I think he's going to continue hammering the national security line. Um, it's like like we discussed, it's it's sort of a go-to for, um, you know, Liberal Party PMs in danger. So it, it wouldn't surprise me at all if he runs with this one as long as he can. Well, that's the way it is. Well, James, we've had a good young look. Well, it's a disgusting time in Australia, but I think we're coming up to an election uh, which is probably be the most extraordinary one of my lifetime. I've never known a set of affairs like this that are all coming upon us. And as you know, I believe there'll be a hung parliament simply because the average voter has got to the point where they just don't like political parties. And, and, and it all depends on whether the independents are quality independents out there. I've seen a lot of independents in my time that were total social misfits just running around because the sewerage is working or something. But I think we do have uh, some intelligent ones running. And it'd be very interesting to see if Australia just doesn't have a hung parliament, but a significantly hung parliament. And so the next few weeks are going to sort of lead us in that direction. But it's been nice to, nice to talk to you, James. And, uh, and uh, well, I, now you live closer to Scott Morrison than I do. I'm a poor old Queensland. You were down there in Sydney. I want you to get over in the electorate of Cook and uh, have a little chat to the Prime Minister and try and sort him out, will you? Yeah, pull him aside and you know, give him a finger wag and slap <laughs> on the neck and the like, yeah. But stern talking to. <laughs> get on your Good to talk to you, James. We'll talk next week. Yeah, ciao for now. Thanks, everyone, for listening. See you. Yeah.